new year, new goals. And I know for myself, as well as for so many of you, financial goals are part of those new year goals. Today's guest is the perfect person to help us plan how to get our finances in order for 2022 financial coach, podcast host, and the owner of Intentionally Wealthy Co., Mandy Thomas, joins me today to chat all thing financial, health, and positivity going into 2022. I'm Kelly Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. Hi, Mandy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, I'm so excited to chat with you because, well, I've known you in person, I guess, and virtually for a long time. And I started saying at the end of 2021 that I wanted to have a financial expert on the podcast to talk about financial health. And of course, you were the first to come to mind. So who here you are. And the first thing that I want to ask to kick us off is how do you keep yourself well? So big thing for me is having quiet time and just having space. My whole life was filled to the brim, like Mach 9 always. And I noticed that was a really big thing that led to me getting sick. So it was a huge change that took time to actually slow down, do like things like meditation and yoga were like the things that I completely repelled because they were slow, but they were what I absolutely needed. So the biggest thing I think honestly is just taking my morning slower. So I start my day off more grounded versus starting it off feeling productive and then just feeling almost behind for the rest of the day. Cause I'm in go, go, go mode. That's so true. And I think almost everybody who repels things like meditation and yoga, those are the people that tend to need them the most or may benefit them from them the most. And I love that you realize that obviously over time through maybe like some burnout, if it was to the point of getting ill, I say it all the time, like make time for your wellness or be forced to take time for your illness. I think that's the perfect example. So you're a full-time entrepreneur and was this something that you noticed specifically transitioning into entrepreneurship, that kind of Mach 9 speed, or was that when you were working as well? That was before entrepreneurship. And I think it was a huge gift for me was getting sick before I became an entrepreneur. I was a power engineer. I was showing horses. I was doing everything. My, my power engineer work was shift work. And so it was back then it sucked, but it was probably the biggest gift ever because I realized how real burnout is and how much your whole life suffers. So then I think it's just kind of like something that helps me to keep in check as an entrepreneur, because as an entrepreneur, now you wear 25 hats instead of uh, one hat previously. So which it can just be such an easy road to burnout. So for me, it was a really good thing that happened because a hundred percent, it would have happened with entrepreneurship. And I think that would have been much worse. So it's kind of just my check when I start noticing certain, you know, um, kind of signs coming up, I'm like, okay, I know you feel like you shouldn't take a step back, but that's exactly what you need right now. Or you need to bring on other people. You can't keep doing this yourself. Where can you ask for support? I have a housekeeper that comes once a week and I will shout it from the rooftops. It, that is like the most important thing of where my money goes basically. Cause that helps me with sanity. And 
I have a very small house, don't have any kids. And I have someone come once a week. And it's really just like, it helps me to just like, that's a huge thing. So just asking, you know, for more support. Yeah. That value is worth it for you. That's so true. I think that as entrepreneurs, there's a really incredible opportunity to, I've recently learned this new language that I love um, to create the architecture of your day. And I really love that word architecture of your day, because I think it's like you're in control. So as an entrepreneur, there's yes, the ability to choose to build your way in, sorry, to build your day in like a really productive and nourishing for yourself way. But I think that there's just as much risk of that go, 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 because there's no nine to five or with shift work, you know, there's no schedule. It can be all day, every day, if you don't enforce that. So I think that's amazing that you kind of knew that going in. I think I learned that the hard (laughs) I continue to learn that the hard way. I'm a very stubborn person, but I never, all I've ever done was entrepreneurship. So it's like a lesson I, you know, relearn every so often. So I would love to know personally a little bit more about your journey as an entrepreneur and how you came from power engineering to what do you consider yourself a financial advisor, a financial coach? What do you title yourself? Yeah. So I'm a financial coach is what I call myself. And it happened really honestly by accident. So growing up, I was really fascinated by money because we really didn't have any. So I started studying it. I was always just diving into anything that I could learn about it, which was mostly books back then because there wasn't the information like there is now. And I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was 11 because we were broke and I wanted money. So I started a pet sitting business that actually did super well. We had dial up internet. So it wasn't like there was no, it was all just word of mouth and like three posters that I put up in the three kind of local towns. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when I was uh, 14, I started my second business. I built a a website that looking back is like was horrendous, but I sold horses all over Canada and the States. And so I knew I wanted to do entrepreneurship, but I didn't know like, how can you actually do this as a career? So I knew it was something I wanted to do, but had no idea how to do it. So I went into power engineering because it was something I knew my brother did it. Um, I knew I wanted to work in a male dominant field because I was bullied really bad growing up. And honestly, I was kind of scared of women. I didn't want to be in an environment where I was surrounded by women. I really wanted to be kind of the only woman. So that was a, a big reason why I even went into power, power engineering. And I loved it. I loved what I did. But what was happening was, so I was making really good money. I had a six figure income. I was saving it really well, managing it, didn't have any debt, but I Back then, no one was talking about money. There was no open conversations. And I felt so much scarcity because I came out into the workforce in 2008 in a recession. I started off as a pipeline laborer. So a lot of the guys that I worked with were kind of, they were all older than me for sure because I was 18, but they were kind of 40, 45, that sort of range. And a lot of them were talking about how much money they had lost in the stock market and the recession. And I'm coming out already coming from so much financial scarcity growing up. So I'm really just worried about money basically all the time. And for me, what ended up happening was I was doing really well financially. And I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about, I was just so scared of losing it all. I was so afraid of this. And I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone because growing up, it made sense that I was stressed because we didn't have any, but now that I had money and I was managing it well, I felt like it was going to be like, oh, it's just in your mind. Just get over. I felt like that's what was going to be said. So I just didn't tell anyone how I was feeling. And what started how my journey unfolded was I started binge eating and I didn't know where it was coming from. All I knew is that I felt anxious. 
and I would binge on food. So my journey began working with a coach on the binge eating and anxiety. And it came down to her telling me like, you need to journal on what happened right before you went on that binge. And I was so resistant to journaling back then because I was scared that if I wrote down all these negative thoughts, it was going to create more negative. And I finally gave in and journaled the one day after my coach telling me for quite a while. And I just like word dumped like six pages of stuff. And I felt like, like I lost like 10 pounds from this weight lifted off my chest of like, this is real. This is what I'm, this is what's going through my head. And what I started to realize was it was because of the scarcity from childhood about money and not talking about it, it was literally eating me from the inside out. So when I started to really work on that, it wasn't about the food that we needed to dress. It had nothing to do with the food. It was just my body wanted something to feel calm about, which was the sugar for a very short period of time before, before then I felt really crappy about it. And so for me, through my journey of realizing that my health was suffering so bad, I was very, very sick in my mid twenties. And what it came down to was it was the super high stress from keeping in all these feelings, not working through all of my scarcity from childhood about money, how it was talked about, how it was felt, and just this constant fear of losing it, that it was just going to, it was going to kill me. So when I worked through that and I was able to overcome my brain fog, all my digestive issues, I wasn't binging anymore. And I felt like I honestly got a second chance at life because where I worked as a power engineer, I had to rent just because it was shift work, but it was only actually like an hour and 20 minutes from my house. And so when I would, I would stay there when I worked and then I would drive back and forth and I was going there and just to the next town was, is only 40 minutes to that town. And I had, it was at the point where I had to pull over to rest three times in that 40 minutes. Cause my body was so exhausted. I was almost falling asleep at the wheel. Like I was so, so sick. And so for me, I got my health back by really diving into what was actually going on with so much scarcity around money and being able to, to just feel so much better about it. And my whole life turned around and I realized, okay, so I was, I was 26. I had already saved $250,000 and I still got this sick from these fears about money. And I went, okay, well, there's people out there who are accountants that help you with your taxes and there's financial advisors or planners for when people already feel like they have enough money that they can set aside every month, but there's no one to help people with the daily management of their money with how do you actually get ahead with it? How do you pay down debt? How do you save money? And I went, that's what I need to do. And I can speak to money from a very different standpoint. Like, yes, we're going to talk about numbers and logistics, but I can talk to money now from the emotional standpoint, the psychology standpoint, and how we also need to take into account this. It's not just your mindset, but it's working through these wounds from childhood because those patterns, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It will still at the end of the day, make you so sick if you haven't worked on that as well. So that's where I went, oh my God, I'm going to be a financial coach. I had no idea what it was, um, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So then I went into it. I was one of the first people in Canada. There's more financial coaches now. It's becoming more of a well-known thing. But I really, I was felt like I was the first one who did it because I looked, couldn't find anyone at that time. And now five years later, here we are still doing the same thing and uh, really just making sure to bring in like that mental health standpoint. So then people, it, it's really, I think since 2020 and 2021, people are really understanding the stronger connection with your money. So that's been helpful. But leading up to that, I still think people were kind of like, oh yeah, like I'm stressed about my money, but it's not that big of a deal. I think it's put a bigger emphasis for people like, hey, if you actually tangibly improve your financial situation and how you feel about it, the rest of your like mental health 
hugely will improve. Physical health will hugely improve. That's amazing. And just so interesting how it was a physical symptom essentially that allowed you to reverse engineer where it's coming from. And I think it's so interesting too, because we, you and I obviously work in very different industries, but there's this huge link between what we're both doing, because that's exactly how I work with clients. Oh, you're binge eating. Let's figure out what is the cue or the trigger. And it's like, Oh, it's anxiety. Okay. Well, where is the anxiety stemming from? Because generally it's more specific. So I love that your original coach allowed you to see that. And I mean, journaling is so productive for that. And it's something I do as well. So something I wanted to ask you about, because I see you talk about this online is that link between financial health and physical health. How interconnected do you think those things are? Because I always say what I'm trying to do in coaching is bridge the gap between the mind and body. And I feel like there's a huge aspect of that in what you're doing with finances, which I, as you said, I don't think most people even consider that. Absolutely. So the link is so much greater than we think. So originally the reason why I never even thought this was an issue for me was because I was a very like fact-based left-sided brain person. And so I had left my job as a power engineer. I actually went back to school for holistic nutrition and I was still on my own journey. And it was then when I realized, you know what, actually the biggest stress for most people is money. And it was in taking one of the courses in school that was literally mind and body connection was what it was. So what's happening is let's say, for example, if you're going, you're trying to fall asleep and you're, you're exhausted, but you're wired at the same time because you're so stressed about your money, you're thinking about your bank balance, or you're thinking about you should check it, but you've been avoiding it because that's a huge thing with money is avoidant behaviors. You're trying to fall asleep and you were just so, so tired and you're already feeling tired for tomorrow because you're having a hard time falling asleep. Those two are hugely connected because one of the big things for me was I was uh, struggling hugely with insomnia. Well, one of the big things was for me, I knew that mornings, I usually wasn't worried about money. It was the afternoon and evening. It was really interesting how that was the time of day. So then I would try and fall asleep and I'd be thinking about it. You're not going to be going to sleep when you're thinking about your money. So there's that. Then there's also your food choices, your mood. If you're affected, if you're thinking about money and you're really stressed about it, you're going to be picking things that are probably simple, crappy carbs that are really, really sugary, which then are going to reduce your energy. And there's a huge connection because also decision-making if we're not feeling as physically healthy, your decision-making is not as good. So you're not thinking about, you know, the way that you're going about maybe financing your house, how much you're going to be putting down on how you're spending your money. So there's so much there. And then also decision fatigue. I think especially these past two years, there's even more of that because of everything from the pandemic. But when we're just fatigued about it, we are really just basically doing the kind of bare minimum with our money. We're, we're focused on putting out those little fires that we never can take a looking ahead approach and lining up. Okay. What do I actually need to do today? So one year from now, I'm in a way better place. You're just like, no, you know what? I'm just going to just pay my bills. I'm just going to check off that. I've, you know, I've went through everything's paid boom that those are two very different things. So there's such a huge correlation in, in how you sleep and honestly, in your relationship with your, with your sex life, if you feel like you guys are on two totally different pages financially, like I'm going to hugely stereotype here. What I see is that let's say two people are in a relationship, whether they're married or not. And the person managing the money who's seeing it more is way more stressed than the other person who doesn't see it as often. And I see a huge disconnect for those two people. And I'm just going to say maybe one, maybe it's the woman looking at it more. And maybe it is a man who isn't seeing it as much. The woman will feel more resentment from that, from 
she feels stressed and she's not feeling heard and understood in that stress, I will tell you that her sex drive will be lower because of that. Mm -hmm. So it is a really full circle thing. Yes, I'm connecting your sex life to your finances, but Mm -hmm. it is real. All of these types of things are hugely interconnected way more than people will really realize. I totally believe it. I think about it often, the weight working with clients. I mean, as you, I'm sure get to know with the individuals that you work on -on one-on-one, it's just this amazingly vulnerable and transparent experience where you learn the ins and outs of all of the stressors in people's life. So even with what I do, I hear about how finances are affecting people's physical health. It's one of the conversations I have all of the time of why are you stressed? Why aren't you sleeping? You know, these are the things that I'm reverse engineering to know, like, why are you struggling to make nutritional decisions that are supporting you? And often it does, you know, as one of the variables, finances, career, all related. And I hear about relationship challenges as well as that's a stressor for an individual. And I've heard it before. And of course, I don't know if this is an accurate statistic, but I've heard it numerous times from numerous sources that financial stress is the main reason for separation or relationship issues. And like rightfully so, I can totally see that if it's weighing over your head all the time and that word resentment is so powerful. So something that I talk a lot about as a coach is goal setting coming into the new year. Um, last week I did an episode about, you know, new year's resolution and that term. And I know a lot of people are pro or against, but just goal setting in general is financial goal setting, something that you talk a lot about with your clients at the beginning of a year, or how do you kind of navigate or block goal setting financially? Absolutely. So that is a really big thing. And what I actually want to give a few tips on to touch on is the things that people normally don't talk about. So yes, everyone talks about pick your financial goals, kind of your big goals for the year, and then break it down. Of course, we need to do that. That is so important. So you can break it down. So it seems smaller, it's more attainable. And then you achieve that small thing. Yes, you're excited about it, you're motivated. And then you can achieve the bigger thing. So for example, in my group, program called cash flow confidence every single Saturday there's a post that is what is your weekly win so I want them celebrating something no matter how small it is because it's the small things done consistently that make it so you achieve that big thing so that's something that is more talked about what I want to talk about when people are setting goals this year so let's say you've set them what I think is really the next step that's super important that more, most people are missing is I already want you to start thinking about what are the obstacles that may make it hard to achieve that goal this year or that may came up, come up throughout the year. That's really important to do that. So you can already start thinking through and doing things that will make it so when that happens or if that happens, it's not going to completely der- derail you. Because what happens is people set a goal, they start on it, it feels good, life happens, an obstacle comes up and they don't know what to do. And then basically they're kind of like at a plateau. So let's let's talk about this. One of the first big things, and then I'll tie it into something tangible, is you're doing really well and then like a one-off, uh, a whammy, a surprise expense, boom happens, sets you back. Because you have to put money towards that, whether it is, you know, you're cash flowing it or it goes on a credit card. One of the best things, and I have a, I'm not going to do too much on it because I have a podcast episode on it, but I want you to think about what are those types of expenses that you have throughout the year that they're not a monthly expense because we're actually really good with our fixed expenses. That's the easiest part of our finances. It's the ones that are kind of all over the place that are tough. So I want you to think about what types of expenses like that do you have, kind of those whammy, those surprise or those non-recurring ones that you could save for on a monthly basis, open up a savings account 
account for each of those and set money aside each month. Um, I'll tell you the podcast episode so you can go listen to it for more information there because that's what happens. So like travel, uh, clothing, any annual expenses you have, different things like that. Because if you're saving for it monthly, what it does is it starts to even out those monthly expenses. Because if you have a whole bunch of months where your expenses are higher, it feels really hard to chip away at that debt or to save. So that's one of the very first ones that I help clients with because it's one of the first obstacles that comes up. Also, another big thing we need to talk about is money avoidance is one of the biggest behaviors I see holding people back. So that's where it doesn't maybe feel good to look at your credit card statement or to open up your bank account. And you tell yourself that it feels more anxious to look at it, so you're going to avoid it. But what's happening is that is sitting in the back of your mind the whole time. It's just a chronic low-level anxiety that almost becomes your new normal that you're functioning at. So a big thing is just noticing and becoming aware, like, do I actually tend to avoid opening up stuff in the mail, opening up my online account, different things like that? Do I get hit with late charges? Do I not really know the dates? And start to address that. And it's okay. It's not going to be something you need to work through overnight. It's the biggest behavior I see holding people back. So something I love clients doing, and this may be the first time someone's heard about tapping, it's called EFT, emotional freedom technique. I will have clients tap and I'll just give a really quick overview of what you can do. There's eight different tapping points to make this easy. What I'm going to tell you to do is just take your two fingers, your um, pointer finger and your middle finger and just tap them lightly on your collarbones and just say what you're feeling. Be like, I don't want to open my bank account right now. I'm feeling anxious. You know, I don't want to see my credit card statement. Christmas really added up. Like whatever you're feeling, it's actually not going to attract more of that into your life. It's going to help you to feel calmer because especially as a woman, it is huge feeling heard and understood. And most of us felt or feel like that's not happening for us. So if you can just say it out loud, it's like, yeah, that is real. That is how I'm feeling. And it's being really honest. And then go into how do you want to feel? You know what? I just want to feel better about opening this up and calm. I just want to feel proud of myself for looking at my stuff today, for paying stuff on time, whatever that is, and just shifting into that. Because what I find is a lot of people talk about like money affirmations. That's great. But from what I've seen in five years of coaching, that does not move the ball forward because it's just positivity, positivity. And I call it toxic positivity because it's overlooking your mental health and how you're actually feeling. So I love clients doing kind of like, what are those negative thoughts, feelings, things, whatever's going through your head, get them out, tap on them, and then say how you want to feel. And I'll have clients do that before they open their bank account. It makes a huge difference because now what you're doing is you're starting to work through those emotional barriers because that's what's happening. It's not a tangible thing that you're avoiding. What it is, it's an emotional thing. It sucks. It feels like it's giving you anxiety. So let's actually attach an emotional support piece, an emotional tool, because that's what we need. So that's what I would love for people to think about when you're setting goals this year. Yes, set them, break them down, make them tangible, achievable, make them, you know, break them down into the smallest things that you can do and celebrate the heck out of them as you're doing them. But then also see what could throw me off this year? What could that look like? And already start thinking about what would my plan be for that? Opening up those savings buckets is a really good one, I believe. So my podcast is called Intentionally Wealthy. And I believe that it is the third episode. So just scroll back. It will walk you through exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to your savings buckets and then see like, how are my behaviors when it comes to money and start working on that. Those are things that will make a huge difference when it comes to actually achieving your goals this year. I love that actionable advice. And I think too, there's power to just speaking your anxieties 
out loud. And it also makes you more aware of them. And I have to say that was really resonating with me because as an entrepreneur, taxes and dealing with like the business side of things is definitely something that's given me anxiety in the past. And mainly because it was that fear of I'm trying to do everything right and actively not make a mistake. And then you, yeah, like you learn one of the best things that I did for myself. And I spoke about this in an episode I did about um, like the main things that I'd learned over my time in business as an entrepreneur. One of the best things I've done is spend more money investing in a bigger, in a, in a, an accountant that works with larger companies. And I think a financial coach is a great example of that. Um, Oftentimes we're so anxious about money that we're resistant to spend money, but it's so worth it. And it's an investment like anything else. And arguably probably one of the most important investments that you can make is investing in your financial health, right? You're going to be better able to utilize the money you have. So, um, And your goal setting approach is like any goal setting approach. And that's how I break things down with, you know, fitness goals, wellness goals, health goals too. It's like, okay, what is the big, scary goal? What is the monthly goal? What's the weekly goal? What's the daily goal? What's something you can do right now and like set, set yourself up for success in those ways. So I'm excited to listen to that podcast episode myself. Um, What do you feel like are some of the most commonly asked questions that you get, whether day-to-day on social media, or when you start working with a new client, is there like a top three that you find most people are struggling with that come up all the time? One of the biggest things is when people are like, okay, I don't like the priority order of what to do with their money. That's a really big thing that I go through with each person individually. But a common question that comes up is, okay, should I pay down debt or should I build savings? And this is something that I've learned so much in five years of coaching clients. And so the approach that I take now with clients, of course, it's going to depend on exactly how much someone's income is, their expenses, everything. But the approach that I for the vast majority like to take as a combination approach. So what I tell them is, so it's not just saving to just have sitting in a savings account titled savings. That's really, it feels pointless. What I have clients do is we first identify what are those savings buckets. Um, for most of my clients, I most clients I have open about eight savings, different savings buckets, savings accounts, which sounds a little bit overwhelming at first, but it gives you so much more clarity. So what we wanna do is on a monthly basis, we wanna be putting into those And then after we've taken into account the month, okay, now what is left over to put to debt? Because what's happening is if you're just like, you know what, I'm just solely going to focus on paying off these credit cards because they cause you a lot of anxiety at, you know, 19.99%. I get it. And people feel like if I just focus on this, I'll get ahead. But what's happening is they're basically on a roller coaster where they get debt paid off. They feel really good. They feel like their strategy is working. And then two months later, they have one of those big one-off expenses come up. So now they actually have added to their credit card and it's went back up. So it's basically where you're just, you're paying down, you're, it's going back up, or even you've completely paid your debt off and then you go back into debt. So what the first thing we actually need to do is actually not pay extra to your debt. The first step is first, let's make sure your account's positive. Let's make sure that you're not um, in in the negative in your account. So that's first and foremost. And then the next step is we need to have money going to these savings buckets because what the savings buckets do is it starts to make it so we're not adding to your debt. That is the first thing to do. So then when an expense comes up in three months from now and in six months from now, we already have the cash covered. We have it in that savings account. We take it out of there. We pay for it. It starts to even out those fluctuating expenses from month to month. So now when you're putting towards debt, we're legitimately chipping away at it. You see that balance come down 
And then what starts to happen is clients feel confident that what they're doing is working. That is a huge thing. Cause when people feel like they're just trying to do this budget, when you feel like something isn't working, there is no consistency. You might stick with it for a month because you feel frustrated that you're putting in effort and is not giving you the results. So as soon as you start doing this and you see it's working, then you actually stay consistent to it. So that's one of the biggest things is just understanding the priority order of, because we all have 14 different places we want our money to go. And we want our money to go to all those places right now. So it's figuring out, okay, how can I prioritize things right now? So I talk to clients to see your life as in seasons. And I don't just mean seasons as in like, winter, summer, you know, fall and spring, that sort of thing. But also just like your season of life. Like if you're going to school, it's going to be a very different season of life. So really thinking about kind of what's going on in your life right now. There's sometimes when I'm working with clients, their season of life is not to massively pay down debt. It might just be like, let's say I I work with just a few people who are on mat leave, not a ton, but when they're on mat leave, we're not trying to pay down a bunch of debt. Usually we might just be trying to keep their debt from them, maybe not going into it or going into it as little as possible. That might, that's a completely different goal than my clients who have their full income coming in. Everything's going really well and we are aggressive with their debt. So really seeing like what season of life am I in and kind of pick one thing really to prioritize your savings buckets. I always want to be within that. And then what is that one thing? So for example, let's say, let's say you have two credit cards, you've got a line of credit and you've got a car, pick one, do your minimum payments on all, and then pick one, for example, your lowest credit card balance. I personally really like clients picking their kind of lowest balance because they get it paid off quicker. It feels like a really good win. And then they keep going versus if you do like the highest uh, interest rate, for example, that might take you way longer and it doesn't feel as good. So that's where I like you to put kind of the minimums to everything. And then what is that one goal right now that you want to, because as soon as you're able to like achieve whatever that goal is, it feels so massively good. It propels you forward. Yeah. Uh, It's so interesting how what we do is so different and our theories are so similar and because it's based in so much of it's based in psychology and, and behavior and understanding human behavior, because I'm, you're like taking words out of my mouth and what I say to clients. And so even for say weight loss, fat loss is the goal or health improvements. It's always, you know, I, health first and then fat loss is a happy side effect of that. But I talk about season of life all the time where I'm like over the holiday season, for example, maybe moving in terms of like giant progress, isn't the goal over the holiday season and maintenance is the victory. So similarly with mat leave, it's like, maybe these aren't the months that we're making huge payments into our debt, but we're maintaining and not going deeper in debt. So I just, that is so interesting for me personally. And I think it will be helpful for me shifting my mindset with money. So I think that is a very useful, I'm excited to hear what comes from people listening to this episode. And then I know it's going to open that floodgate of like going into all your previous podcast episodes as well. So I know it's, maybe not easy to kind of summarize, but if you were to highlight then one big mistake that you feel like people are making with their finances, is there something that you would star as like a common error? I think a big thing is feeling like it's just fine. Like that's a really big thing of not having the urgency of like, okay, we really do need to dive into this at a much deeper level. So that's a big thing I talk to clients about. You basically need to be kind of sick of your own crap when you come to me to really dive in. Like, yes, you're investing 
to work with me, which to a lot of people seems so counterintuitive. Like I'm going to pay you as a financial coach to help you pay off your, to help me pay off my debt. And I'm like, yes, because what you've been doing, you've been stuck at the same place for literally five years. That's cost you way more money than it is going to be to work with me for, you know, three to six months, for example. But it takes you, you know, that little bit to get that, you know, that mindset there. And so that's a big thing I see is feeling like, you know what, it's all fine. That is kind of a really big issue because it doesn't mean you're staying there. You are moving back. It just doesn't feel like that. So sometimes like you need to feel like, okay, we're at the red line. Like that's where sometimes having anxiety around money is not actually the bad thing that can be really good. Cause that can be the trigger to be like, you know what, I'm going to reach out for help. I'm going to reach out for support in, and to do something different. Cause it's really, we need to have this mindset of like, okay, what's led me here and what I'm currently doing is not going to get me different results and really just needing to see that. So for example, when I was binge eating and had anxiety, if I just kept trying to do it on my own, I would still be in the exact same place today. Cause I did not have the skills I needed the outside perspective because I was so in my head. So like when it comes to your health journey, you're so in your head. When it comes to your money journey, you're so in your head. And especially when it's something we feel a lot of shame about, it's really, really hard to work through that on our own. So there's, it's so great to reach out and just to know that you're, you're worthy of support, but that's just the bigger thing is to go, you know what, like I am going to work with someone And I'm not saying you have to work with me. I'm just saying reach out for more tools than what you currently have. Tools are great and you need them. But the biggest thing is the accountability to actually following through. As soon as you have something that happens, like, for example, when that expense comes up that you weren't prepared for or something happens, I help my clients do that for you, for example. okay, now it's Christmas. I need you to be more in that mindset of let's focus on maintenance instead of thinking we're going to try and drop a whole bunch of weight over Christmas when my family doesn't do good with my health boundaries and they've got all these snacks there sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, interesting. You literally took every word out of my mouth. I was writing notes as you were speaking and I wrote pride, ego, shame, because I think a lot of it is letting go of the fact that like, it's okay to ask for help and you should. And I think it's very similar to getting someone to helping with, you know, coaching of any sort. It's that kind of Um, two steps forward, one step back. So when you're investing in a financial coach, you're making two steps forward. And that small investment, which is so small in the grand scheme of things, is that like, yeah, it feels like maybe you took one step back because you had to make that payment, but it gets you further so much more quickly. And just that mental stress, if it's three to six months of really diving in, if that gives you financial freedom and improves your relationship with money for the rest of your life, like you're adding years to your life, not only financially, but physically by, you know, getting that stress off of you. And I think that one of the biggest things that you said that resonates with me too, is the accountability aspect. People keto, for example, sure. All the resources in the world are on the internet. Absolutely. People could figure it out if they wanted to on the internet, very similar, not to undermine what you're doing, but the financial information now, as you said, when you began, it was almost all books. Now it's books and Instagram page and TikTok and every like website. And there are resources there. But like you said, if you don't get to that kind of red line point, often you don't take that action and it's the applied knowledge is power. So knowledge is power is not enough, right? We all have Google at our fingertips. How do you apply it? And often accountability is that missing piece. And I've found through coaching that below a certain price point, the 
investment does not inspire action and people actually not everyone, this is very general, but there is a level of financial pressure that actually encourages accountability. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is the same for financial health. Yep. I couldn't agree more with that. And it's funny because I have different price points and I will tell you in my business by far, what is the easiest way to quote unquote, I guess, sell is for people to either work with me in my group program or one-on-one. I've got two things that are worth like $27 and 59. They're self-paced. They're very specific on, you know, home buyer's guide and for credit, but people know that they have a, even though the one is only an hour, they have a, they know that it is very hard for them to actually, the big thing I've noticed that I've had to really coach people on that is the biggest thing is time management to actually a dive into the information and to make it so they can be consistent with these habits. So people, you know, those are really low priced. People can buy those way harder for me to sell that than it is my group program because people know that they need that accountability a lot more because they know that they just have a hard time finishing things. It's overwhelming that if they have someone that they feel like they're, that is holding them accountable, there's a way higher chance they're going to do that. So I a hundred percent agree is when you actually have skin in the game, there's a way higher chance that you're actually going to do it. Cause there's people who I talk about savings buckets. It feels like every single day for the past, at least two and a half years. And I have people who followed me for that amount of time, listen to every single podcast episode and then come to me and don't have a single one open. And they're like, I love your information. It's great. But that's where we feel like when we feel like we're consuming, we feel like we're learning, we get this high. It makes us feel like we're getting results. And I did a podcast episode on this because I think it's so important to know the difference between passive learning and active learning. So that's where someone could be listening to this right now and go, oh my God, that's so gold nuggets. But unless you press pause, write down that you're going to do this and actually do it when you get home, it feels like we've learned something. We have this knowledge. But exactly as you said, the applied knowledge, it's with the implementation, it's with the action. That is where you get the real result. Same thing where I wasn't actually doing the journaling. I wasn't doing that active thing. And when I finally did it, that's when I could make the connections. I'm like, okay, what's actually causing the anxiety? What's leading to the binge eating? It's nothing to do with the food. It's 100% due to the financial stress. Now we can actually dive in and troubleshoot this. Because we know what is Mandy's specific reason for why she's doing this, which is going to be different for everybody else. Yep. Well, and like you said, based on childhood relationship with money and seeing your parents' relationship with money, I do the same thing. What was your childhood relationship with food? Binge eating, for example, obviously something I talk about every single day with clients. And as you said, it is based in self-soothing. Often that's something we learn in childhood because we don't have the emotional regulating tools or the tools to journal or do tapping at a young age to know how to self-soothe, but we understand that food provides comfort. So then you're undoing patterns that have been reinforced for often decades, right? Like I'm sure you're working with clients who have been repeating the same negative patterns and cycles and repeating the same negative relationship and anxieties with money for decades, that takes a lot of work to undo. And so when it comes to the price point thing, it's very much so, is it worth 
saving what you can save to purchase the lower price point now? Or is it more productive to stop repeating that pattern and not have to keep repurchasing the lower price point package? That's something that I see often in coaching is, you know, people will first ask me what's, you know, what's the price difference between your group program I have as well and one-on-one coaching. And I try to as politely as possible kind of reframe the coaching question back to them of, what level of support do you need to be successful? Because it doesn't matter if you're purchasing the group program, that's half the price. If it's not going to give you the accountability that you actually need to stop repeating the same patterns as is financial. So um, what do you think is like going into the new year? Because I do think this is a really great time to inspire change. And like you said, like press pause, write down the actions that you're going to take. But even if it's, you know what, this is the first step in planting that seed for people to start consider shifting their relationship with money. What is an action that people can take right now that you think generally like every person could take right now to improve their relationship with finances? Yeah. So one of the big things is understanding what even emotions are you feeling to begin with? Because such a huge thing is we're so out of touch with them. I used to be the most out of touch person with my emotions, which is why I do talk about them a lot now because it did so much detriment. So seeing like, what are you actually feeling? Is it shame? When I was 24 years old and I was really, really struggling, shame was a huge one because I felt like, well, now I'm doing so well financially and I still feel super stressed. I feel shame about that because it I don't deserve to feel the stress. I did as a kid when we were broke, but not now. So it was understanding, okay, the shame. Like, so really starting to name your emotions is one of the most helpful things. So then you can be more specific because people will ask me, okay, how do I work through money, anxiety, and money stress? Well, that is such a broad question. I understand, but we need to take it's like a take, it's it's like a funnel. Let's make Let's understand, have more awareness about ourselves so we can ask better questions from people to get better results. So that is a really big thing is becoming more aware of your finances specifically. How do you feel about them? Why do you feel that way? What, where, where is that shame coming from? When you can identify it, then you can work through. But what's happening is when we don't have a lot of self-awareness, then it is hard to figure out where do we even start for troubleshooting? So that's one of the biggest things is really like on the relationship side with money is, okay, how do I even feel about it? What does that look like? Do I feel grief? Do I actually feel sadness because maybe you know lost your job in the pandemic or your income really decreased? That's very different than feeling money shame. There's going to be different things that we can start doing there. And I would honestly, a great thing to do would be to go on YouTube and type in um, tapping Brad Yates, Y-A-T-E-S. He was the first person that I had started with learning tapping from. And that can really help you on the emotional side because you can work through really tangibly and strategically, and that's still not going to get you anywhere uh, over the long scheme of things. Like I tell people every single day, I work with at least one other financial professional who has way more designations than me because it's not just strategic. Yes, that's a big portion, but I have financial planners who work with me. I have accountants for who work with me. I have bookkeepers. Those are people who people look up to who think that, boom, they should just be killing it financially. So that's something to keep in mind is you can be super capable doesn't mean you exactly know how to do this. So when you can start to identify the emotions, like basically what I'm saying is get more clarity in what you need help with when it comes to your finances. Because when you can ask better questions, people can give you way more specific things to do that really move the ball forward. So that's one of the biggest things I noticed being in a lot of group coaching programs as an entrepreneur, 
I started, one thing I will say, uh, humble brag that I've become really good at is asking great questions. What I would always do when I was in a group program is I would put all the questions I've been thinking about for that week to the coach and I'd put them just in my notes app as they would come up right in the moment. Instead of what I noticed, some girls were in the moment just trying to think of things. In the moment, it's really hard to think about like what specifically is that question I have or that trouble that I'm, that, that issue that I'm having and that I would like troubleshooting. So I'd put them all down and I would go through, mm, is this the best question I can actually ask when I probably only get two questions? Like there's only that much time. And then I would go, you know what? No, 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 no. And then I would get more specific. That was huge for me, but it was only that I could do that from having a deep level of self-awareness. I know that sounds like not as tangible for people, but I will tell you, it really moves the ball forward financially. Well, it's square one, right? And it gives you the ability to move forward with, I'm literally reading the book right now, the psychology of money. And for me, I, I mean, I think something that has helped me shift is just being like, my money is my responsibility, my retirement. I'm an entrepreneur. Like my retirement is my responsibility. I think also something that's helped me because talking about guilt and shame and that like, like that ick feeling that we can all have. And I, I arguably think everybody has had with money and it's so relative to the person, like you were having financial stress at a place where, yeah, maybe you felt like you shouldn't, you don't deserve to have that shame because you're making, you know, quote unquote, good money. That doesn't matter. It's all relative to the individual. Um, but something that's helped me just as like a personal mantra with money and not that it's not something I'm not still working on. This is actually a goal, like, you know, and I have broken it down to tangible goals, but as the broad goal, I would say is to improve my relationship with money, not allow myself to get, like, I would, cry on the phone with CRA. And look, I mean, that is, if you're an entrepreneur, I think most of us have been there, but I'm like, I, that doesn't help me. I have to do it. I like, I'm paying the taxes either way. Like I got to do the thing. I got to have these conversations. Like it, I have to take responsibility for it. And so I've told myself, you know what, like in terms of investments, for example, the best day to start was yesterday. The next best day to start is today. I think that we really get caught up in like, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm 30. I should have started sooner. Like that time has passed. Like just start now, do what you can now, take control of it now. And in terms of that anxiousness, and like, again, speaking from experience, the only way out is through. The only way out of that anxiety is through the discomfort of it. And the only way you can get there is, like you said, sitting down and reflecting on what is my relationship with money? And I think a lot of people aren't even at the point of recognizing they have an emotional relationship with money. So I think that absolutely makes sense as like a square one. So something that I want to talk about, I could talk to you for hours. I'm excited about this, but I want to talk about this, like the modernization of cryptocurrency and NFTs and the, well, I just want your personal opinion because I've even noticed, you know, okay, well, stocks are, you know, stocks are like generally stable. And we know that that's a great place to invest our money generally. Well, you're the expert, you tell me, but then I see now it's like, okay, but no invest in crypto, like less traditional stocks, let's invest in crypto buy NFTs. What is your general theory with all of that? Yeah. So basically I want to say walk before you can run. So for example, a lot of people will be talking about in there, they're talking about investing like in their RSP or tax-free. And then they'll be talking about, you know, different stocks and this and that, but they don't even understand that. So I want you to think about like an RSP and a tax-free that those are, that is your shoe. 
but inside of your shoe, you're going to wear a sock. So you can put a whole bunch of different socks on your socks can be stocks. They can be index funds. They can be mutual funds, all these different things. So that's where people don't even have like that baseline understanding of investing. And they're talking to me about like dropping 10 K in crypto. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Honestly, what I want you to do is because when it comes to investments, they're going to fluctuate. And if you don't have that emotional regulation yet, what's going to happen? Because let's go back to when I said 20, 2008, another reason why I felt so anxious about money was because I didn't understand investing. When those guys were saying to me that they lost all that money, that's because they pulled out when they shouldn't have. There's going to be ups and downs and you need to leave your money in there, but you need to have the emotional capacity to do that. So now let's take it back here. Crypto taking huge swings. If you're putting a whole bunch in there and you don't even understand that you should hold it in a wallet and how to actually hold that money securely, we shouldn't be investing in that yet. How about this? Take an investing course. I have a six figure multiple, multiple six figure portfolio and I have paid to take multiple investment courses for my friends who were other Canadian investors. I did start investing in crypto this year. But after I already had money going to these other places and really understanding. So that's what I would say first is take the time to learn about investing. There's great books like The Millionaire Teacher. Great one to start with. The Simple Path to Wealth. That, um, that one's a little bit more American. The first one is more Canadian. Start with those two books. Listen to them on Audible. Also read them. It can be really helpful. And then start diving into learning about like a pre-made portfolio of index funds. For example, Wealthsimple is a great place to just check out. I love how educational the platform is set up. Learning about making, you know, regular contributions. The first thing that I will say is if you don't even have an emergency fund and you are don't know where your money's going, do not put your money in crypto because what's going to happen is those big expenses are going to come up. That crypto fund you're going to be diving into. And for example, let's say you're putting money even into RSPs. If you don't have an emergency fund, something happens and you need to pull money out, you're going to be taxed heavily because you got uh, a tax break from putting it in there. So it's really like, let's look at like a staircase of things to start with. Let's start knowing where your money's going. Let's, you know, free up cash flow and then start with some other investments. You can start reading about crypto and learning about it. That's great. But I really think if you're going into the most high risk, volatile thing first, it's also going to make you feel like the other things that are less risky, that they're way more risky when you see your money going up and down so much. So really, I think crypto with it being a very understanding your risk tolerance, you know, I am a high risk investor because of my age, but also because of my knowledge. When I was 21 and first started investing, I was really low risk because I was super scared of losing anything. So I was investing in very different things then. So that's important to know, like how much kind of education and understanding do you even have around investing? And even myself, that was one of my big goals for 2021 was to learn way more about investing. So I took three investing courses last year, even though I already had this much money in investment. So that's a really great thing is I will say books are awesome. Great first place to start, but I highly recommend everyone to take a paid course because they're more timely learn about something that's, you know, specifically for the Canadian market, or if you're American. Um, but that would be one of the best things you can do is spend a couple hundred dollars to take a course about investing to learn way more about it. It's one of the best things I could tell everyone to do when yeah. it comes to the investing side. Do you know, it's funny, this just happened to end up on the same day, but I'm enrolled for an index funds webinar for later today. <laughs> 
like, I can't believe the day and it just happened that way. I've been enrolled for weeks, but, and I think like small, small wins, right? Small wins, something, you know, I do wish I would have started sooner in terms of investing. And this was something that shifted as my relationship with money started to shift is I was like holding on to money, but in a way that wasn't, my money wasn't growing. It was just sitting there. And it was like, you know, fairly recently that I was like, okay, like I, and again, it was, I think maybe similar to some of the emotions you had, where it was just that, like, it feels like it could go away anytime. And it's, so I'm just like sitting on it versus if there's money to sit on, it could be growing and working for me. And then little things like, you know, I was just sitting on a car payment, but I could have paid it off. And I was, and I know you speak a lot about like purchasing vehicles, et cetera. So this was the only vehicle I ever purchased for myself. And I was young and dumb and now I know better, but you know, I was like, okay, I could pay it off instead of sitting here and paying interest on it, which makes no sense. And then that monthly car payment that was coming out every month. And I had gotten accustomed to, you know, not, not noticing it, but you know, it's just money that comes in and out and whatever. As soon as I paid my car off, I put that exact money into a monthly investment into my TFSA. And then I buy stocks and like reinvest the trip. And, you know, it was a very small amount in general. I'm not going to retire off of that, you know, $400 payment, but it's like, it's something. And, you know, on top of everything else I'm doing, I'm like, why not just have that reoccurring and it's somewhere to start. And, you know, those little wins have made me feel way more empowered personally about my finances. And I'm starting with books and now I'm like starting to dabble into webinars. And I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, not, not that this isn't for everybody else listening, but selfishly, I was so excited to talk to you and uh, you know, because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and I have lots of clients who have worked with you. um, And so I know firsthand how beneficial it has been for their financial health and resultingly their physical and mental health. So, um, okay. We could sit here and talk for 800 years, but we'll wrap it up. So I always have a few rapid fire questions, uh, to ask. So first I want to say, who is your biggest role model, whether financially in business? Oh, this is, this is a great question, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is tough. I will. Okay. So the first one that came to mind when you said that was one of my mentors, that's been a mentor for a long time. Her name is Kelsa Dickey and she is a financial coach out of the States. And she was one of the first people who I found her probably eight months into my business that made me realize that I could do my business in the way that felt best to me. There was a lot of business coaches that were like, this is the way to do it. And I was like, I want to vomit hearing that it doesn't (laughs) feel good to work with clients or market that way. So that was just huge was Uh to me, living in alignment had to be, it was, it was so important, but finding someone that made it so empowering and to see, I could grow my business to the size I wanted doing it exactly how I wanted was huge for me. So probably her. Ooh, I get that gave me chills. And I swear we're very much so on the same page. Cause as soon as you said that, I was thinking alignment. Uh, yes. Amazing. Well, I'm excited to go follow her too. Um, what is some of the best advice you've ever received? I think, okay. So this is a quote that I love by Tim Ferriss and I hope I don't butcher it, but it's, it says that the quality of your life can be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. So for me, that was huge because I grew up in a household where there was a lot of conflict. Um, Shortly, my mom was, she had a lot of physical health problems. We have a very genetic heart condition in my family that um, my mom was basically always in and out of the hospital for very serious 
um, aorta aneurysms, all, a lot. Like she was gone for six months to Vancouver. I didn't see her that whole time she was there growing up. So she, she struggled a lot and there was a lot of fighting in her family, a lot of screaming and yelling. So from that, I had a lot of anxiety and I took into my life as a young person that I don't want to sweat the small stuff. And so what happened was in turn, I just stopped speaking up about a lot of things that bothered me. I kept it bottled in and then basically resentment would build up. And that really did hurt a lot of my personal relationships and my health as well. So what I needed to become better at was feeling super uncomfortable with having hard conversations and not knowing how to navigate, being afraid to offend someone really close to me about what I said, but having those conversations because I didn't realize at the time that me not speaking up was the most hurtful thing. And I was just, I basically wanted to be in charge of other people's emotions. I didn't want to feel them to feel this way. So I just didn't have the conversation. And I think that a lot, I have noticed a lot of women do that, especially in their lives. They just keep those emotions down resentment builds. And then it almost becomes too late to fix something. It's just, you're now in different spaces. So that was a big thing for me was when I heard that quote, first, it felt like I was kicked in the gut. I was laying on the ground, kicked in the gut. If I felt very called out, but it also made me able to show up more to have those really tough conversations that I was avoiding like the freaking plague. Absolutely. I love Tim Ferriss. And actually it was, I've heard that quote before. And the quote that I used earlier, the terminology, that architecture of the day, I borrowed from Tim Ferriss. Um, and just, I mean, a great role model as an entrepreneur, because the four hour work week, it's very similar. Like, how do you build a business that is not just killing you and you're not working 24 hours of the day? And um, I noticed you used the, the term boundaries earlier. And it's something that I feel like we could have a whole, you probably have a podcast episode on financial boundaries or something that includes it. But, you know, I think boundaries, that's exactly an example of what you're communicating as we stuff everything. And I think setting a boundary, it, whether financially or within a relationship, you know, it's how we love harder, not how we push someone away. But I think we so often are so scared to offend. We like stuff it. So yeah, great advice, hard conversations. And I think that probably works very much so in alignment with what you said about understanding how to ask good questions too, like good, hard questions. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, amazing. It's just very cool to know like some of the influences that have gotten you to where you are today. What is your personal mantra or what's your live by? Oh, for me, I guess I don't have a mantra, but so my business is called intentionally wealthy coaching. And I named it that very specifically because for me, I realized the theme of my life was intentionality being super intentional. So that's the biggest thing to me is all the actions I'm taking, they really need to be intentional. Is it getting me where I want to be? But is it also the way that I want to feel? Is it the way that I want other people, you know, around me to, to feel my community to feel. And so that's, I guess, just the big thing with the word for me would be intentionality always coming from that versus before when I think about, you know, my binge eating, everything was just happening so unconsciously it felt like there was so much happening that was out of my control and really bringing back that control that I do have it I just have to be very intentional in in my mental health and the self-care and all of that so I can be super intentional in my life controlling what you can I feel like that is I I've been talking a lot about like a word of the year or you know I feel like 
intentional is a beautiful word for anybody to embrace for their 2022 truly, especially after the last two years, like it really has shifted the baseline for everyone. Um, best book and or resource that you'd recommend to people. You mentioned a couple books. I wrote them down, but if you had like a one book, everyone needs to read. Okay. So this one's going to be specific for entrepreneurs profit first, just, it's going to change your mindset hundred percent. There's different things that I do. I don't do exactly as they've explained, but every single entrepreneur needs to read that to shift how they think about managing their money behind the scenes. So that's a big one there. Ooh, another one that I would have to say is probably rich dad, poor dad. Um, that was one of the first ones I read really just getting you to change how you're thinking about the much bigger picture. I just posted on Instagram last night about talking about the cash flow quadrant. Um, and it really just changes how you really think about money. And I would say that was just instrumental for me. And I know that it's an older one that people have mentioned, but if you haven't read it, it is a really, really good one. I have it in my office and it is next on my list after I finish the psychology of money. Um, and I haven't read profit first. So like, this is on my, I said, like, this is my, these are my goals. I am, I am taking power with this, this year. So thank you for sharing those. And finally, if people want to learn more about you, where's the best place to find you? Yes. So I'm most active on Instagram. I'm at intentionally wealthy co CEO. You can follow me there. And then I have my podcast, which is intentionally wealthy. And those are the places that I hang out the most. So I would love for the person who's listening, if you want to send a DM to me or to both of us, just saying like, what was your biggest takeaway? What did you enjoy the most? I always love hearing what you actually love the most about it, because that's just really helpful for us to know, Hey, like, what are the things that you really did take away? Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. And I have to say personally, uh, you know, I follow a variety of coaches within all in industries, obviously. And, um, I love that you don't just shelter all your information. Mandy does a really great job. You guys of sharing infographics and sharing tangible information that you can take action on. And I think that some coaches, and I totally understand like you're, people are meant to invest in, in what you're doing, but some people are gateholders of, of, in, or like, yeah, gatekeepers of information. And I think you do a really great job of providing resources as well, which is so generous because this is what you do. It is the skill that you've honed and you just do an amazing job of that. And it's something I appreciate so much. So if you're not following Mandy, I know that I've learned so much just even from your Instagram page and of course today. So thank you so much for spending your time and sharing your incredible knowledge with us. This has inspired many questions and reflections for me, and I'm sure we'll be talking more soon. And I just hope to have you back on the podcast one day in the very near future. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was my honor. Of course. That's all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for spending your time with Mandy and I. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode every Sunday. And while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to Mandy's podcast as well. I would love if you left a rating and review to keep yourself well so other people can find the podcast. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at KY Wellness. More details about this episode and all previous episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. See you next week and keep yourself well.